Today on CityCast DC, there has never, never been a Republican elected as a ward council member in DC. David Krukoff wants to change that in Ward 3 in Upper Northwest. He's gotten an assist from the Washington Post endorsement, but the numbers are still daunting. He's here to tell us why we ought to pull the lever for him anyway. Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. David Krukoff, thank you for being here. My pleasure to be with you. All right, so I have a fun quiz here. The DC Council has 13 members. Yes. The uh, Fairfax County Board has 10, Alexandria has seven, Montgomery County nine, Arlington five, Prince George's County 11. That makes 55 in DC and the inner suburbs, locally elected officials. How many of them are Republican right now? I'm gonna say, you included Fairfax in that? I did, I did. Out of 55, I'm gonna say two. You are double, it's only one. Oh, okay. You are running to be number two. Right, yeah, that's correct. That's a brave act. Well, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. So let me uh, put you through some punishment as like a lightning round, because I know this is the thing you have to do when you introduce yourself and you quickly you know, pivot to you are the centrist, reasonable candidate. Do you think the 2020 election was rightly decided? Yes. Did you vote for Trump? No. Do you support abortion rights? I'm pro-choice. Do you support same-sex marriage? Yes. Do you support DC statehood? Yes, but there's nuance. Right. So that's that's a change for you, right? You had this sort of interesting proposal that DC I've always supported DC statehood. You have. Yes. You've also advocated that DC join Maryland. Which is also statehood. Oh, just not fifty first statehood. They're both statehood. You both have access to Article One of the Constitution because you are either your own state or part of another state. Correct. So you don't support DC becoming its own state. I do support DC becoming its own state, but I think it's inferior to DC joining Maryland. What's the reasoning for that? It's an interesting argument. I'm just not going to go into the details of a second retrocession during this campaign. It is, it is my judgment that the majority of Ward 3 voters are still not yet in favor of a second retrocession, and I am not running on that issue. If you would like, you can look at a variety of places where I've spoken before, and maybe after the election, we can have a detailed discussion about this, but now is not the time. So what are you running on then? I'm running on political diversity. I'm running on the very notion that different points of view provide a healthier body politic and a foundation for better decision-taking. So that was a front and center when the Post endorsed you last week or yes. a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they said, and, and you have said, that one party rule has been bad for DC. Can you tell me how? Well, one party rule, I think is bad for all jurisdictions, whether it's <laughs> point taken. PR, the, the PRI in Mexico or in or some other place where it's the Bolsheviks. The number of problems that one party rule has led to in the District of Columbia is beyond the scope of this conversation. But I will just say briefly that when you have one party rule, there's a propensity to have what's called overreach that party becomes full of themselves and tries to do more than they really know that they should. Well, I don't I don't want to get into the Bolsheviks right now, so let's just talk about the DC Council. Give me your read on that. We had overreach before in the District of Columbia. We ended up with a control board and we ended up in receivership. 
And we could be looking at oversight again from the federal government, and we could be looking at spending beyond our means. And you can see right now in the things that are happening in our city, whether it's crime or mismanagement of the housing authority, that overreach is right in front of us, whether it's decisions by the council to have fair gate jumping decriminalized or whether it's having undocumented alien, undocumented immigrants being allowed to have a franchise to vote in our elections. This is overreach. And I'm the non-overreach person. I'm the person that says, hey, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. Can we bring things a little bit back from the far left to the mid left? So in your telling, just to so I can understand this, D.C. Council has taken a couple of votes on things lately that are, you know, not enormous budget issues, but kind of send a message. One of them was to was about fair jumping and metro. Another was to give the vote to non-citizens who've been here, I think, for 30 days. And your view is that this is a function of one-party rule in D.C.? It is absolutely a a function of one-party rule, and they're sending the wrong message. They're not leading by example. They're not representative of Washingtonians, particularly those residents in Ward 3 of where I'm running. How so? Well, for example, Mary Che, our existing council person, was the one person who voted against the legislation for undocumented immigrants to vote in our local elections. It was 12 to 1. Another migration might be on Initiative 82. This is the the no tipping rule, okay? Mm -hmm. So they had an initiative back in 2018 for no tipping. It passed at the ballot box, and then the council elected to vote out Initiative 77 because it was a bad idea, and they knew it was a bad idea. And... Guess what? If it passes this time around, 82, there's not going to be anybody that's going to have the temerity to try to to cancel it. But our restaurant industry is going to suffer significantly, and the beneficiary is going to be the restaurant industry in Maryland and Virginia. Well, hold on just a sec, because you've made a a point that it's pretty hard to argue with, that that political diversity is important, that one-party rule is not good, that it entrenches elites and so on. But the initiative here. I mean, this is That's, the general public, yeah. your fellow citizens yes. and my fellow citizens voted this way. Yep. And then these political elites on the council, you could say, overruled them. And That's a good point. I accept your point. But it shows to me, at least in Ward 3, Initiative 77 was not backed in 2018. And I don't think it will be backed in 2022. And I am not optimistic about any type of movement by the council this time around, because the council has migrated from the mid-left to the far left. And 77 and 82 is one example. But I think, obviously, the examples of placating in the area of juvenile justice is more significant. Explain that to me. What do you mean, placating? Well, I mean, for example, the Farragate jumping... I would argue is largely done by people who are juveniles. So but isn't the idea with the Fairgate jumping thing that they are this is twinned with changing the design of the gates in such a way that they become harder to jump with the idea that one you want to stop Fairgate jumping but two you don't want to make people have to wear a criminal jacket for years because they were a little knucklehead. No, I think that the notion that we should allow knuckleheadness is wrong. Okay, so... so but No one's talking about allowing it. They're talking about stopping it with architecture instead no, of... No, I, I don't disagree that you can stop it with architecture. I'm okay with that leasehold improvement, but of course we have to pay for it. In the meantime, Metro suffered $40 million last year in non-fair revenue because of Fairgate jumping. And then we complain about Metro being broke. But the point is, 
we have to lead by example. We have to set an example. And the rule of law calls for us to have appropriate consequences and at the same time be empathetic. Right now in, in D.C., it's going to carry a $50 fine, like a ticket, basically. It used to be 300 was lowered. Right. It was lowered after decriminalization. And they're 100 bucks in Maryland and Virginia. So it's treated, I guess, more like a speeding ticket than a criminal action. Is that really that big a deal uh, in, in terms of sending a message about crime? It absolutely is a big I mean, it's an ex absolutely a big deal. The whole thing is, do you wish to have your streets be well run or not? So David, you and I both grew up in DC in the 80s, a time when crime stats were much, much worse than they are now, even with the recent rise. The crime then went way down and has now started to come back up again. Do you have a theory as to why did it go down in the first place? There's more cameras, there's more cell phones, there's more evidence, there's more DNA. I think that all those things means that you can't get away with stuff as easily as you could back in the day. That's my first belief. I also believe that when the economy is doing pretty well, and that we have had some growth since we were a kid till now, that leads to less crime. Of course, in the last two or three years, we've had a precipitous decline in our population. And do you have a theory as to why? Well, technology again relates to this because of COVID, because people don't need to go downtown as much. But you can believe me when I tell you that people are not happy in Ward 3 about the District of Columbia's government being anti-motorist and being placating towards people who are considering criminal activity. So you have stood against some of the broad directions in city policy. And I think the one that you've gotten the most attention for is your stance on the bike lanes on Connecticut Avenue. You just mentioned you believe city policy is anti-motorist. Tell me, like, why are you against these bike lanes? Because they don't make any sense. If you want to make a smart bike lane, you'd put it in the middle of the road, not on the edges. That's number one. So are you saying you support middle of the road bike lanes? Or are you? I haven't said that because I haven't seen a study about it yet. I'm just telling you that the concept C bike lanes on Connecticut Avenue make no sense whatsoever. And they're going to lead to a tremendous amount of chaos. And they're going to be taking away a lot of the avenue. Sometimes it's a third of the avenue. Sometimes it's less. It'll go back and forth. They've been a disaster. How so? I mean, I don't mean to geek out about this. But I, I like the subject. What kind of data is there to back up the disaster? Residents extremely upset. Residents who can't bypass the bike lane to get on to a bus. Residents who want to get into a cab but can't. The bike lanes are really for the detriment of the many to the benefit of the few. You have said the district is mostly motorists and the policy is anti-motorist. I didn't say the district is mostly motorists, but it, although it is, Ward 3 is is very much mostly motorists. But isn't part of public policy here in land use as well as transit to try to make the city less car dependent? Well, then make better bus lanes. Okay. The bike lobby will tell you that they don't even want people to have a helmet on. To go talk to the National Head Injury Foundation. Wait, is there something the council can do? I and mean, the council is not WMATA. The council can do to improve bus service that you would be able to do? Something with a budget? Well, they, I think the council can interact with Metro. I think that we put people on the Metro board and we, yeah. we have certain oversight there. So another, you're, I know you're a real estate guy, real estate professional. Another of the big divides in city politics, and it, it is related in a way to the bike policy, is about density 
And it kind of cuts across traditional ideological lines, where one side of the debate is saying, hey, we should get rid of some of the zoning that makes it harder to build density, to build more apartment dwellings or higher buildings or offices in neighborhoods that didn't used to be used to have offices. And another side says, no, 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 we ought to maintain the residential character and quieter character of some neighborhoods. Where do you come down? I'm more on the development side, particularly on the major thoroughfares. I believe in the supply side of the economy. I don't believe that we should hinder development on the major thoroughfares. I think that we should be inventive, thoughtful, inclusive, and have growth. So you want to build more housing near metro stops? I want to build multi-use buildings with nice retail, potentially a floor or two of office, and then residential, maybe. I'd like to mix in all this stuff. Cleveland Park, you know, doesn't have parking. It doesn't have hardly any office. The retail suffering, it's got no height right now whatsoever. There is a little bit of, of housing coming in off of Newark Street, which is interesting, but we need to have more smart investment. What about up in Chevy Chase Circle? There's been a lot of controversy about what comes in up there. Well, I am supportive, generally speaking, of the small area plan, which will add potentially more development along Connecticut Avenue and calls for ways to do that. So there's people who will come out and say, well, this just kills the residential nature of this neighborhood. And, and I think, you know, it's easy to lampoon them, but there's a lot of people, older folks often, who moved into Ward 3 at a time when they thought living in Ward 3 meant you were going to get a shady street with plenty of parking and you could drive quite easily and you were not going to be in a downtown. They've essentially thought they were living in a suburb. And then they see in Van Ness and some other places, downtown style density is coming in and they don't like that. I don't know if I agree with those folks, but I think that's a, a common view. I think that that view is a minority view. Sometimes minority views are loud. You've said that schools is the other big task of government. We've just been through a pandemic. A lot of parents were not very happy with DC public schools speed of opening. Where do you come down on that? I am generally with the parents on that. I think that the city is not leading by example when it comes to COVID. I think that uh, it does not show a stronger understanding of outside activity and even inside activity for children who are going to not learn at home and who are going to be set back for years because of their lack of exposure to the classroom. So I don't believe that the city has done a very good job in this department, although obviously some of the things are you know, rear view mirror 2020 type of stuff. I'll give you an example. And you're going to think that this is just silly. I went to Cleveland Park Library to take a photo. I wanted to show that the drop-off boxes were open. And here's a picture of the drop-off boxes. Now, why did I not use a drop-off box from the internet of the District of Columbia drop-off box? Because every single photo of a drop-off box on the internet showed a voter going to that drop-off box that drop off a ballot with a mask on outside. That's not leading by example. How so? Because we shouldn't be having our masks on outside as a promotional thing for drop-off boxes. Well, wait a minute. Was, weren't it just that those pictures were taken at the last election, which was during a, a, a much di different time in the pandemic? It's a conscious decision, Michael. I'm telling you it's a <laughs> conscious decision. There was not one. If you don't get this, I'm sorry. It's a conscious decision to message, 
to the people from the mayor's office, from the council, we are sending the wrong message. And the only way to send the proper message is to elect a non-Democrat to the council from a ward. That message that it's sending, I mean, I, I hear you saying like it's intensely annoying to see these like holier than thou. I mean, imagine that there's holier than thou messaging going on. But what what is the message it's sending? The message it's sending is that it's, it is basically connected to a well-intended, feel-good message from democratic establishment. And whether it's regarding the bike lanes, where the data is not necessarily supportive of the bike lanes, or whether it's regarding having a mask on outside where the data does not support that, we have to show an example by government of living aggressively. And we're, we're not, because if we live more assertively, we will grow our economy, we will prosper, all the boats rise. If we live in fear, then in this city particularly, we're going to see attrition. We're going to see basically a migration continue from the District of Columbia to Fairfax County, to Florida, to Nashville, to Austin, and so forth. We've had a migration out, but population has come down since the pandemic started. It sounds to me like you're saying it is not just a pandemic effect. This is something bigger about the way the city is governed. Absolutely. You don't think that this is occurring in California and New York State and other places? So it's happening in all the Democratic places? Absolutely it is. You sound like a Republican, man. Well, I am a conscientious, <laughs> centrist, pro-choice, Dwight Eisenhower Republican. So you said live aggressively. What does that mean? That means build something, try to put a permit in the DCRA. It means get out there. It means do not sit in front of your computer. I know we are in front of our computers right now, but it means to interact and be part of a vibrant society and, and to build one together with our neighbors. There's tremendous opportunity in the District of Columbia to be creative, particularly if we are more assertive with the federal government regarding federal land. It's interesting, you know. Again, we're both children of the '80s in Washington. We grew up in a, in a city that was dwindling in population, that was high crime, that was considered to be a city in decline. And for a lot of my, you know, adult professional career as a reporter in Washington, it's been quite the opposite. The question has been like, "Wow, the city is growing so fast and getting so rich. Where will everyone live? Who can afford to live here, etc." It sounds to me like you think we are now entering a new phase where the danger of decay and shrinking is the uh, is the looming factor. I have no doubt that that's the case. We're still spending like drunken sailors because the council and the, the city just knows nothing but spend, spend, spend. And it happened the last time this one happened. We, we ended up in receivership. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to go that far this time around, but we still are in a lot of trouble. We've talked about a bunch of things here, yeah. budget, uh, crime, et cetera. What do you think your opponent, Matt Fruman, gets wrong about these things? Well, Matt Fruman is a nice man. Uh, I think he's very knowledgeable. Uh, I think he's a continuation of the status quo. He's to the left of Mary Che, who is vacating office or retiring. And Mary Che is to the left of me. So I like Matt. He's a good guy. And Ward 3 would be well represented by Matt or by me. But well represented is not enough. We have to make a change in the district, make a statement in another direction. Can you give me like two sentence version of what your vision is for Ward 3? I want Ward 3 to thrive. I want Ward 3 to grow. I want Ward 3 to be inclusive. And I want our city 
to act more transparently so that all Washingtonians feel that they are not being taken advantage of by their government. A strict teacher would have said that's four sentences. I'm going to imply that there were some semicolons in there. Michael, you are an exact person, and I appreciate your flexibility with my fallibility. David, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate talking with you, and thanks for having me today. And now for some quick news. I'm here with our audio producer, Julia. What's happening, Julia? First up, we've got some sobering news about how D.C. students are doing in school. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, students in Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. were found to have taken some of the largest declines in math and reading levels in the U.S. Big time yikes. For D.C. fourth graders, that was an eight-point drop in reading and a 12-point drop in math. Local leaders say they're committed to not blaming students and are instead doubling down on the investments that they've made. Meanwhile, Arlington business owners, listen up because this one's for you. The county is requiring you to file your taxes online from now on. It's part of a push towards going fully paperless. So business owners won't be getting pre-printed business tax returns in the mail, per usual. Instead, they should update their customer assessment and payment portal accounts before the end of the year. For more information, you can check out our show notes. And lastly, Amber Guff has won the battle to keep her ANC seat in Capitol Hill, at least through the end of the year. There is a big push to recall her, largely because of a disagreement over a protected bike lane. If ever there was a D.C. issue, it is that one. But the unofficial results show that she held her seat with more than 75% of the votes. She's running for re-election on November 8th against the person who led the recall efforts. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm Michael Schaefer from Politico. We'll be back tomorrow with more news from around the city. Bye. She sells seashells by the seashore.